Okay. Any questions? If you need a handout, they're on the chair there right behind Yuri. If you didn't get one when you came in. And uh, we have started talking about um, discipling. Right up Kyle's alley. First two weeks, we kind of talked about what it is. What does it mean to disciple, to point people to Christ, to point people to Christ's Word, to learn to walk in His Word, to apply, be shaped and conformed by His Word. Uh, tonight, we want to talk a little bit about why we should disciple. Why should we disciple? Is it... Um, well, tell me, why do you think we should disciple? Okay, you're saying it's commanded? Did you say Karen? Okay. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? Go and make disciples, or as you are going, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teaching them all things that I've taught you, right? So it is a command. So we would say that's an obligation. You sense an obligation? I mean, a command, that's pretty obligating, right? Corban's going to be deployed because he's been commanded to do so, right? So he's under obligation to do that, even though he may have some druthers you know, to stay at home or go somewhere else. He's obligated to fulfill that, that command. Is that the only reason? It's our love for each other, our love for others. Good. So this ought to be uh, a part of our uh, obligation or our responsibility or our reasoning, motivation for discipling anything else well as you disciple them then they grow in the knowledge of the word of God which then promotes unity and fellowship so we might say uh, a maturing impact is that fair does that kind of summarize what you're saying maturing um, God's people the church, another good motivation. Will it also be together with love because of compassion? Uh, yeah, okay. There are several parts in the scripture that we don't have compassion on them. All right. And we also should list uh, to, to reproduce and grow the church. So Jesus said, I will say multiply. We, the, 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 the gospel in making disciples, nurturing disciples, and then having those disciples find disciples, that's the, the methodology that Jesus gave us to change the world. Mm -hmm. So often we, we put our effort into things that are not going to work like politics right right if we spent as much time whining about politics 
if we would spend as much time telling people the gospel and making disciples as we do whining about politics, the world might look different. Or other things. Or other things, right. Except football. <laughs> ah. Now, wait a minute. So everybody's got an axe to grind, right? Um, okay. Think about, um, is everybody in here parent some level form? I mean, Stephen Kelly, specialists, right? <laughs> five, five children, you're specialists. Let me, let me ask you, why do, we, why do we have kids? Think back. Is it just... It was something to do, <laughs> you know. I mean, is that was that the motivation? Well, you know, I never tried it, so I'll just try it. Populate you know, populate the world. Populate the world, but a little closer to home. Why do you have kids? Happiness, joy. They bring you joy. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> but the the joy, the happiness, the love that's involved in having them offsets the challenges or we wouldn't do it, right? Or it, it equals. In most cases, sometimes it can be very devastating. But we have kids because we want to invest in them. We want to impart to them what we know. We want to pass that along and see them grow up and them do the replication to do the same thing, right? And so we get grandchildren, and then it goes on to the great-grandchildren. And so it's, it's not, I mean, I know some people do it for the wrong reasons, right? But most people that have given thought and planning to their life, they, they think about children. When you get married, you start talking about that, right? Do you want children? Yeah, I want children. Well, why do we want children? We want children... Because we want to raise a family. We want to experience that. We want to uh, impart to them what we've learned and what we know. And we want to see if, you know, we can do this successfully and multiply, essentially, our family. Isn't this the spiritual version of that? Except we do have a command to do it. And truth of the matter is, we have a command to reproduce, don't we? Biologically. God gave us a command to reproduce. Why? To multiply and fill the earth with God worshipers. That's why we're here. Okay? So, I believe there... Uh, so, you, this is good. You took this have-to motivation and you've transformed it into get-to, right? Or want-to. And so, if we get there with discipling, we're home free, right? If we get beyond the have to and get here, that's real motivation. The have to just ends up with a lot of guilt most of the time, doesn't it? I think there's a couple of primary ways uh, that we motivate ourselves. And it involves these, I think, but a little bit different. The two primary ways that we can motivate ourselves to be engaged in discipling or reasons, if you want to call them that. Number one, why should we disciple? The scripture teaches we do it for our joy. Our joy is at the heart of discipling. Now, this may strike you as odd, and it may even sound to those of you who are super spiritual, it may sound like selfishness. Well, I would 
would never do it for that reason. That's too selfish. <laughs> right? Uh, it's possible, obviously, to uh, pursue joy for the wrong reason or in the wrong way. But Scripture presents our joy as a legitimate motivator for discipling others. You've got your handout. Let's, um, I know you've got your masks on, but, you know, if you're comfortable with it, and, uh, and it's kind of hard for you to communicate with a mask on. If you want to read these verses, we'll go around and let you do that. If you just soon not try it and keep your mask up, then that's fine too. But Karen, would you want to start with Philippians 1, 3 through 5 there that's listed first? Sure. Read that for us. Okay, Stan, take the next one. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Okay, great. Steve, would you like to do one? Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love, Okay. Kelly? Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Okay. Kyle, you want to take the long one? <laughs> I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient Receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Okay. Bill? For what is our hope, our joy, for the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Okay. Carol, would you like to take that last one? It has given me great joy to find some of your children and all these uh, verses what was Paul and John's basis for rejoicing can you pick up some common themes in these verses that explain their motivation for discipling what do you see there what did you hear there their partnership in the gospel partnership in the gospel fellowship with the spirit fellowship with the spirit Okay, faithfulness. You took joy in others' faithfulness. What else? Their obedience. Obedience. Any others? Encouragement. 
encouragement. He says there in that last one that they, uh, it gives me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. What does that mean? Yeah, it sounds like they've made disciples, right? And they're walking in the truth, and this gave them great joy. And the tone echoes what we were talking about earlier, how there's a mirroring of the discipling relationship to that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're proud. This is this is the you know the parent, the grandparent, who you know has heard from their child or their grandchild some accomplishment, some achievement, and they're sending them a note congratulating them and taking, you know, sharing the joy that they feel, expressing the joy they feel over what's happened in the child's life. Something that maybe they have shared with them or they have invested in helping them grow and mature, and now they see it coming to pass. They see it coming and bearing fruit, right? And so they're expressing this I'm, I'm exhilarated. I'm thrilled at what I see happening in your life or here that's happening in your life. God intends to produce joy in you when you're used to help others prosper and grow. Jesus tells us that, doesn't he, in the Word? We'll get to that in a minute. From these texts, we see that Paul and John are taking special encouragement from the knowledge that they were personally used by God to help build up the Christians to whom they wrote in whom are also investing in others. So they're seeing their grandchildren in the faith, their great-grandchildren in the faith begin to rise up and be impacted by the seeds they planted even. So, and I know you can say, well, that's got a fine line there. You know, it gets a little prideful, doesn't it? That, hey, I planted a seed in you and you're... I don't, I didn't hear that, what they're writing. I know that can happen, right? But that's not what you hear. You hear them genuinely expressing their joy because they see the gospel going forth and, and multiplying and other lives being changed because of it. Paul, in fact, would often refer to his hearers as his children in the Lord. He seemed to take appropriate pleasure in seeing them prosper through the fruit of his ministry and ongoing work of others. Paul's joy. In fact, you know, what did Paul say when... He was the Corinthians, right? He's writing to the Corinthians, and they, you guys are studying Corinthians, and, and they were into this, you know, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Paul, I'm with this one. And what did Paul say? It doesn't matter. It's all the gospel, right? That, Christ gets the credit. I'm of nothing. It doesn't matter. This one plants, this one cultivates, this one waters, and God brings forth the increase, right? This is the attitude, the real attitude of discipling. It has to be. <clears throat> so, is this sort of joy selfish? No. Does a joy in personally helping someone mature as a disciple lead us to be man-centered, or is this a good thing? I think it is, right? We see the example here in the Scripture. Good. Um, can it lead to pride? It absolutely can. So let me wrap this up. Christians rejoice in seeing other believers grow, and they take special joy in seeing the growth occur as a result of their involvement. This pleasure of laboring to see other people prosper spiritually through your involvement in their lives is one of the most foundational joys in the heart of a true Christian disciple. 
uh, I think all of us have that in us. We want to do that, you know. We want to make disciples. We want to be able to share our faith. It's just hard, isn't it? It's kind of difficult. We think we're kind of scared to jump into that conversation. How am I going to get there? How am I going to navigate this and begin to uh, share with people? I was telling somebody the other day that um, maybe I shared this on Wednesday. If I did, y'all can stop me and I'll stop. Did I tell you about the, the storm chaser we had in Oklahoma? I told, oh, okay, I told you that. All right, never mind. Not everybody, Not everybody was here. Not everybody was here. Yeah. Well, essentially, this guy was a meteorologist. He was a storm chaser. He started coming to our church, and he thought he had a relationship with the Lord. He'd been in a church somewhere else um, until he moved to our area. And uh, he started coming to our church, and lo and behold, the Lord got a hold of him and, and saved him. And I mean really, really saved him, right? So we baptized him, and one day he shows up at my office, and he says, you know, I got a problem. And I said, what's the problem? And he says, well, I, I'm, I'm in the faith now. I, I'm following Christ now, but I want to be able to share that with others. Well, you know, music to a preacher's ear, right? I said, so what's the problem? You need help in understanding how to communicate the gospel? No, he said, I got that part. I said, okay. He said, the problem I'm having is connecting. How do I, how do I get to share the gospel? I said, well, see, from my perspective, that's the easy part. And he said, what? And I said, come with me. So we walked out of the office. We walked across the, the main entrance to the office. It was a big plate glass window. And I took him over to the door, and I said, what do you see out there? And he said, well, I see a parking lot. And I said, right. But look closer. And he said, I don't know what you mean. And I said, Val, what are you driving right now? And he said, well, my truck's out there. And I said, exactly. And if you look at your truck, there's like eight people standing around it right now. Why? Because it's got News 9 on the side of it, you know, Storm Tracker and all this stuff. And you got all the bells. And the... I said, it's a magnet. Everywhere you go, people come out of the woodwork. They come out of the stores to go check out your truck because everybody understands, you know, tornadoes and storm chasing. And he went, yeah. And I said, you got a ready-made inside to making an audience, okay? So we went back in and worked on how do you take your videos and things like that, you know, this footage that you're shooting, the stories that you have, and weave that into an opportunity to you know, start sharing with people. Well, before it was, I mean, he took that and just began to run with it. And before it was over with, this guy's getting invited to schools, you know, to come in and give talks. And, and he found, he was a master at weaving the gospel into what he was doing. Yeah, because the teachers didn't even know enough to be upset, you know, because he's up there showing this impressive video and, you know, windshields breaking out of his truck and stuff because of tornadoes. And he says, oh, by the way, you know, and it takes them into the gospel. And they're like, wow, this is great. But he just, he just started doing it. Watching believers grow as a fruit of your ministry is a part of your glory and reward before Christ. Far from being wrongheaded, I would even say that you'd not take real pleasure in being used by God to encourage and build up others. Then there's something amiss with your understanding. That we should want to do that. And our pleasure in seeing God use us to encourage and build up other believers is an important biblical motivation. But it's not the ultimate motivation. So, reason number one, for our joy. Our joy. Second reason. 
God's glory. I mean, you know, who's the hero in all this? He is, right? He is. He's the one who has demonstrated this incredible love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He's the one that makes it possible. He's the one who has predetermined from before the foundation of the world to call out and save his people from their sin and from condemnation. So he's the hero. And when we're discipling, when we're making converts and we're discipling and leading them to grow in their faith, this is a way of glorifying God. When people choose to, to come to Christ and people choose to grow in Christ, what they're doing is sending a message to the world that God, God has this immense value that's worth pursuing, worth following. That glorifies God. That makes much of God's reputation for the world to see, right? God's Word says the result of discipling is greater fruit from our lives that leads to God's glory. Let's look in John chapter 15. John 15. Is everybody there? Okay, Bob, you read the first two verses. John 15. John 15. I'm in Luke. Back up or go forward one. John chapter 15 verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it, that it may bear more fruit. Karen, give us verse 3 and 4. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. George, can you read us 5 and 6? Carol, 7 and 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Lily, 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, I'm Mr. Lily. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, my glasses. Okay. As your voice Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Okay, Yuri, you want to read the next two? 
these things, I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Good. Nadia? 13 to 14? Okay. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now what is it that Christ describes in the life of a believer that will bring glory to the Father? Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. Now, what, what is fruit? If... You were an apple tree, fruit would be what? Apple. If you were a peach tree, peach. If you're a rose bush, roses. roses. So what what is the believer's fruit? Disciples. And there's other things. Right? I mean, based upon our discussion. Tonight and last week and the week before, disciples is absolutely the right answer. But what about Galatians 5? What does Galatians 5 say? There's fruits of the Spirit that we bear, right? Long-suffering, patience, kindness, joy, love. What else? Somebody look up Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Well, that's, uh, that's true. I mean, Jesus doesn't, God doesn't need us, period. God has no needs. He didn't even need to create us. That's right. There's no needs. There's nothing that we supply to God that He is completely self-sustaining, self-sufficient. God, three in one, the Trinity. All right? Nothing incomplete, nothing lacking. This is a misnomer. You know, you'll hear people say sometimes, well, you know, God made us and came to save us because he couldn't bear the thoughts of heaven without us. That's bad theology. (laughs) So bad. No. God did it out out of the greatness of who he is and the goodness of who he is did it for his own glory think about this God made man and he knew full well that man was going to sin and fall and he did it anyway he knew because of his own character and the commitment he has to his own holiness and righteousness 
and justice that he be required, bound by his own character, to judge that which is unrighteous. And yet, he's, at the same time, he's bound to love. He's grace. He, I mean, these are the perfections that make who God, make him who he is. So, you and I, we try to get our minds around this and say, I can't wrap this up and get my mind around it. He He's fully just, so he... He is intolerable, absolutely intolerable of the slightest imperfection. And yet at the same time, he's so full of love that he cannot resign himself to bring judgment to bear. And within God, you've got the full perfection manifestation of these two things in perfect tension. And you and I can't understand it. And so he made us knowing what it was going to cost to reconcile to bring redemption to bear upon that which is sinful, that which was repugnant to his own character, us as sinners, that he was going to do that, and he was going to do that in a way that would fully satisfy his justice at the same time and be a demonstration of his perfect love. You know, that makes our head explode. And yet God took it upon himself and did it because that's who he is. He did it and all of that is to amplify, to reflect, to display His glory. How great He is. He didn't do it for us. He did it in spite of us. He did it for His own glory, for His own namesake. And that's where we need to change our thinking on that. He ventured into this knowing full well what He was going to do, committed to do it, to satisfy judgment, love, and all those things and redeem us at the same time. What an incredible God is that? He could have started all over and said, whoop, Adam blew it. You're done. We'll start over with Bob next. We'll go down the alphabet. We'll start with Adam. Adam blew it. We'll try Bob next. You know? Bob would have blown it. No, he didn't. He said, we'll take Adam's race. Adam's race is now corrupt. It's, it's flawed with sin. And we will redeem it. We'll do this incredible thing where we redeem it. I will satisfy the payment due for sin, due to myself. Get your mind around that. He's not paying a payment to Satan. He's paying a payment to himself. I require this sacrifice. He administered the sacrifice. The scripture says he crushed himself. He crushed Christ as payment for the sin. Resurrected. I mean, how can you not be consumed with, with the glory of God when you think about that? So when we make disciples, we make disciples, we're telling that story. We're amplifying, we're reflecting we are verbalizing God's glory in this it's not about me it's not about us it's not about notches on the proverbial Christian razor strap or whatever it is or you know that hey I'm a better Christian because of it it's about sharing God's glory why wouldn't we want to do that why shouldn't we be compelled to do that Ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 
21, he's made us ministers of reconciliation, he says. That's our job. We're ministers of reconciliation to bring others. He doesn't need us. It is our privilege. Can you, think, can you imagine that? If you are a wannabe athlete, okay? Wannabe athlete. I want to be a world-class athlete. It's not going to happen, Bob. You know? <laughs> it, it never happened in my best day. You know, but in my dreams, in my dreams, I want to be this world-class athlete. But what if, and we've seen this kind of thing happen, what if, you know, um, the, uh, you know, the U.S. Olympic team comes and says, you know what, you're an honorary part of our team. We want you to come and compete. I can't win anything. It's all right, we're going to run the race, but you're on the team. That'd be a privilege, wouldn't it? That would be a privilege. The race has already been run and won, the, and the championship acquired, the medals achieved, and you get to enjoy that by being pulled into it. It's kind of what Christ has done for us, and he lets us be a part of that. I mean, if it was just about getting us saved, he would take us on to heaven as soon as we come to Christ. As soon as we're converted, he'd just pluck us out of this world and take us on to heaven, that, if that were the goal. But the goal is to have us share in this incredible thing that he's doing as his ambassadors in this world. And so when we're not doing it, we're shortchanging ourselves, and we're not, you know, thriving on God's glory. We're not, we're not fanning our own joy you see how we're, we're hurting ourselves here? Not to, again, make it selfish. Where do we get to? Galatians. Galatians 6. Who's got that? All right, read that for us, Carol. <clears throat> and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not do part. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all Discipling others, we said the, the primary description or definition is doing good unto them, to show them Christ, to point them to Christ, to direct them to Christ, to express Christ to them. So he's saying that we shouldn't grow weary in this, even, even if we don't see immediate fruit, but that we do it in faith knowing that God will produce fruit. Because he's, he's told us to do this. So we do good. We communicate the gospel. We challenge them, encourage and equip them to walk with Christ, to become Christ-like. We point them to the Word of God, which is where they get nurtured and fed and conformed to the image of Christ. And we walk, walk along with them and help them do that. We dispense good works, good deeds on their behalf. We do we do works of compassion we do works of sacrifice we do works of any kind of nature so that we might be used by god in those situations to point them as road signs they're saying jesus you know you see those guys on the corner with from the tax office with their you know things trying to keep everybody's attention 
what's that commercial that was going for a while where the guy, that's what he did. He was always working out on, you know, getting, getting his arm. He said, my arm's getting bigger because he's twirling that sign out there on the curb somewhere. But that's what we are, aren't we? For Christ. For Christ. We're just, we're just markers along the road that help point others to Christ. That's what we're supposed to be about. <clears throat> All right. Let's see. Wrap this up. We read verses 9 through 17, but the chapter here focuses on the need to abide in Christ and have His love abide in us. We're told that we should love each other as Christ has loved us. You hear that a lot. In fact, He said, He gave His disciples a new command and said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. He loved enough to lay down His life. But we can't go die on a cross for someone else like He did. But we can make sacrifice. We can, we can make ourselves available even at not doing the things or not being uh, connected to the things that maybe we want to do. There are lots of things I want to do, right? But what does he want me to do? What can I, how, can I, how can I serve someone else? How can I sacrifice in order to display Christ to someone else? How do you do that? Charles gave us an indicator earlier on. You know, that doctor, I don't know if he put that together. You may have to help him with that. But your commitment was, I'm not going to act like a man who has no hope in this challenging news that he's given me. Okay? Who knows? That creates a question mark for this man. That's part of it, right? What about someone that... that you go to church with that's a part of the church, local church family that you're a part of you know there are other things in your life you've got another testimony that you've shared some of things that have happened recently in your life powerful testimony of what God's done in your life that can maybe help direct someone else in that in that path in that walk somebody else may be dealing with something else just as powerful in their own life so you know, it's not just about sharing the gospel through how God's converted us, but it's also sharing how God is growing us and maturing us in the faith and that, hey, you too can do this. You too can follow him in this manner. And, you know, here's, here are the things that God has shown and done in my life. You know, that's what we do. We keep pointing other people to where we found the bread. You know, one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread and all those other things that they need to hear to help them grow. That's a very basic view of it, but it's, but it's spot on with what Scripture says. Jesus laid His life down for us. We sacrifice so that others can be brought to Christ in order to bring others to the Father. Um, do you have any questions? Doesn't mean you have to be an expert in the Bible. You should be growing in the Bible, right? You should demonstrate a walk with God and relationship with Him. Oh man, absolutely no expertise needed. All you've got to do is find somebody who doesn't know as much as you do. That's right. One beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. That's right. Go do it poorly, figure out how to do it better with the next person. Listen, how much how much ammo did we give you tonight? We talked about John fifteen. Look, you can take somebody to John 15 and just read it with them. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We could spend a few days there, right? 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. Try to get your mind and heart around that, new believer. But, while, th- while, while nothing is possible apart from God, what else does God's Word say? All things are possible. All things are possible in Him, with Him. And so, these are things that you already know. Most of you have been Christians for a while. You've sat and listened to who knows how many sermons. You've been in how many Sunday school classes. You've read the Bible. You, you know, you've read Bible studies. You've, been, you've done all these things. How much more equipping do we need before we can share what we already know? My wife will, you know, she, she is um, the most reluctant internet surfer of anybody. She thinks she can't do it. But, but, it, <laughs> but it, has, it has equipped her in her cooking, okay? She goes to the internet for all her recipes, right? She doesn't have this file anymore. Like, you know, she might pull out a recipe book, but she's going to be on her iPad looking up recipes. And she cooks and she does these things. And it may be the first time she's prepared something. Someone comments about it and what's she doing? She starts describing to them what she did and why it did this way and what she didn't think worked and how she could change it next time. Transpose that over to spiritual things. That's all discipling is. is Start talking to somebody about what God's done in my life, what God showed me here, what I read in the scripture. You know, what can we pray about together? How can I pray with you, you know? It's not, it's not heavy duty. It's just awareness and availability. Sharing what you know. Most of us aren't. Most of you in here got enough stuff already in your tank. You could disciple from now till Jesus comes back and not have to duplicate the same lesson twice. Right? Hey, hey Jerry, just a thought. I, it, I'm not trying to talk through your spot, but I'm just thinking there's probably somebody who's thinking, man, I'm just not good enough to do this. You know, I'm just not at the place in my walk where I can get to do this. What would you say to somebody who's What are you going to mess up? What do you think you're going to mess up? I I hear that all the time. Well, I might 